0: Hi, my name is Trudy Rosquay, and I am the founder of Vitality 40+. I am not only a master personal trainer specialising in women's and children's physical health, but also a menopause ambassador who is passionate about spreading the word and breaking all those mystical taboos over the M-word. I have created a series of podcasts with a variety of guests, not only on women's health issues, but subjects that relate to men's health and well-being also, Unlocking all the answers to questions that you may have wanted to ask but unsure as to where to get the information. let speak. Oh, don't want that. Hello. Didn't hello you there
1: you are Hi, hello I sorry i was
0: contract. on <laughs> i was on a zoom call of um yeah. with my web designer and he was go- taking me all around the back end of the site that we're putting all this on and i yeah. was like and i was just like oh my god oh my god and he's going uh no do you want that do you want this and i was like look I'm, i've got to go I've Got to go, <laughs> go call. Uh, no worries out.
1: listen i'm moving
0: house so um can you see it's like chaos in the background I don't know how to blur my background it's fine you can actually do it I'll tell you how you do it when you go into zooms so if you go into your zoom main menu mm. if you press oh I don't know how to do it now you're recording uh, oh. hi and welcome to another podcast for vitality 40 plus um, today I have a lady called Jean Allen, who is an integrative psychotherapist and an integral coach. Uh, her back for over ten years uh, background. She's lived, been born in South Africa, and came to Jersey back in two thousand and six. Um, welcome, Jean. Thank you <laughs> for a start. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, now, of course, the first thing I've got to ask you is. What is an integrative psychotherapist? <laughs> Thank you for asking, because it's actually important to me. Um,
1: so psychotherapy, basically, well, how I like to describe it is treats the mentally well. So, you know, what a psychotherapist does is, uh, and an integrative psychotherapist really works with the relationship. So the, the space where the healing takes place is in between the client and the therapist. So it's the space in between. So uh-huh. it's really relational. And if you think about integrative, what integrative means, it means bringing different parts yeah. together into a whole. So when, when I work, I'm looking at my client, it's not a patient, it's a client, um, in a way that where the fragmented pieces And with curiosity and empathy and compassion, how do we put all those parts back together so that my client is operating more and more as a whole human being. And that includes good parts and bad parts of ourselves (laughs) and good emotions and bad emotions. So as my trainer, I remember telling me it's psychotherapy and integrative psychotherapy isn't necessarily about feeling better, it's about a uh, better feeling. So oh, if we really, yeah, so yeah, if we yeah, really yeah. know what's going on, whether it be good or bad, and we understand why and, and w- what's going on for us in that time, then we're better able to make decisions, because those emotions, good or bad, are informing us about information about our experience in life.:
0: Okay, well, so now we know. Um, I didn't actually tell our listeners what we were going to talk about today, but that's probably because we've been talking about it and we've been having our calls about how we were going to do this. Um, And I love some of the ideas that we've come up. So we're going to call this session Empowering Women, which, of course, could mean anything um, at all. But I suppose let's start at the very beginning, because I do find that's probably the best place to start. There's a cue for a song. So we looked at the fact that you were born in South Africa probably at a time when life was probably pretty hard. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely, and as I start this, I think I'm gonna give you a little um, analogy to start this off because it really strikes me as when you're born into a system or an institution, it's your normality. So the analogy I like to use with my clients when I start talking about this is, it's like two little fish who swim together in a fish bowl, and the one says hi. Another one says hi, and then the one says, "What do you think about the, how's the water for you today?" And this little fish says, "What water?"
0: <laughs> That's <Unaware>. great.
1: <laughs> Doesn't even know it's swimming in water. And I think that <laughs> I like that. I'm I think that, that really one. helps to describe. Certainly, you know, my experience of being born into apartheid South Africa as a white woman, a white female.
0: It certainly gives diversity and inclusion a whole new meaning, doesn't it? Yeah. When you start looking at, at a community or um, uh, workforce and you start talking about culture, and that's actually where it stems from, doesn't it? Uh, the fact is that when you are born into something you take everything as normal. And that actually can stem into um, other things that are the subjects that I've spoken about, like addiction or abuse or things, because it's all mm. the normal. So mm. let's talk about, you know, um, a sort of apartheid and what that meant and how women reacted uh, to, the, to the South African um, gentleman, for want of a better word. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think if you've got to
1: understand that the temperature of the water was oppression, all-round,
0: mm.
1: you know, extreme oppression. So everybody bought into, now my parents weren't particularly political, so they just followed the system. So it wasn't like I was in a family that was challenging the oppression. It was just, yeah, white people were superior and men were superior and, you know, and class was superior. And so that was just what I believed in. And it it was, it it's It's not something anybody indoctrinated me with. It just like osmosis. It just comes in. You know, I was, I was at a whites-only school, co-ed school, but whites-only school, Um, and I had a father who had grown up in the system, Um, and so you know we, you know we weren't able to do anything without his permission or his instruction. So that was just the normal, and that 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 I remember feeling that that was very
0: respectful. It was the way that a woman should be. So that
1: made me good.
0: Yeah. But well, they, yes. Well, you were a good, a good daughter. Good daughter. So when did your when did you, when did you become not such a good daughter? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's been a
1: gradual process starting in my twenties of sort of waking up to this and actually sort of going, oh, I'm swimming in this water and what's the temperature of it? And do I like the temperature of this water? You know? And, you know, and I think that's been where, where I'm coming from in terms of psychoeducation. And that's why I'm kind of in this now, which is my third, you know, career. It's not, I wasn't my first choice. I think I would have been an awful psychotherapist at the age of 23. <laughs> I was, be very and I didn't know I was swimming in water. So, um, Yeah, so it started over time and it's been a gradual waking up. You know, I remember, you know, in my early 20s, you know, feeling really ashamed of my South African passport. You know, it was banned across. And then when we first came to the UK in uh, my early 20s, really feeling the guilt of apartheid and not really knowing why and feeling very separate from it, like, It wasn't me, I didn't design apartheid, I'm not a racist, really absolutely in denial of what was normal for me. And and so it's been a process of of waking up and being educated myself, Um, going through a lot of training, my psychotherapy training, a lot of psychotherapy hours put into my own discovery and my own self analysis of what I'm buying into and challenging my beliefs and challenging my, my, my culture and challenging my the, the what I call a sort of the unsaid rules that you think are normal, but until they're challenged, you don't realize there's another way of thinking. So that's through many, many levels. It's not just racism or misogyny or anything like that, but just who I am and the identity as a woman and how being empowered is my right and not that
0: I'm being naughty and that that, that's honestly that was great the 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 analogy there I think you know we're talking about empowerment um and the waking up of what is normal and perhaps that's where we're going with this now is that you've now used well you now you were in your 20s you were challenging what you were had been told and what you had been Uh, considered to be the norm and that is no different to any of us as girls being brought up 60s 70s whereby Mm. the fairy tale was always the prince charming was going to come and rescue us either Mm. on a white horse or give us a kiss we were all going to live happily ever after Mm. 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 what happened there then Mm. Mm. Um, so now we're going you know I'm throwing it back out and say so how do we challenge those beliefs
1: mm. well first the first step is to is to challenge that fairy tale because it seems it's well certainly for me it was very intriguing it was very compelling you know to be the it's very uh, and it's been disguised as as romantic but actually what it is it's silencing and it puts all the control and power in the hands of the the, the 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 in this case, the man,
0: yeah,
1: um so that it's under his control and decision about uh, your your well-being. And I think in that, yes, it disempowers us, but it also dissolves us of or takes away any responsibility that we take for ourselves as women. And I think that's where you know, it being empowered is also means we've got to take responsibility for ourselves, whether that's emotionally, financially, in, as a parent, as a community member, that it's not up to the other to represent us in the world. Mm.
0: Very important. That's something, you know, my, my grandmother was um, a, a very strong woman and uh, she went away. She was, she was widowed um, with two children, uh, three children and left just at the time of the war and, and came back and had baby number 3 then and then came back with my mom and came back again and she set up her own business so this is going back 1947 and she set up wow. her first first hairdressing business um you know and she was a mom on her own like solo mom setting up her hairdressing business i mean i, I think i do know where i get uh, get her jeans from but mm-hmm. the fact was that it was deemed to be you know she was she was quite you know that wasn't that wasn't mm-hmm. really done back then and her biggest piece of advice to me was always keep your own pension always have your pension keep it and that's your pension and I I just remember that and that was like you know not long before she died so Mm -hmm. the thing is you're absolutely right we're trying to get the you know women to be strong and empowered and and to make those rightful decisions of their life Mm -hmm. the problem is the problem is We have men that we are raising, and as a mum of two boys, we have a society that really is still stating that men are the providers. We have a gender pay gap, which we know, um, which is, you know, I would like to say is being addressed, and it is being addressed in all the diversity and inclusion stuff we have. But how do I, as a mum, start to try to challenge that to bring my boys into Believing that they can do anything, but having that empathy and love <laughs> and soft side they can cry um, as well mm. Well, I think it's difficult, I think, because
1: even now they are being educated in very patriarchal schooling system, <laughs> and you know the water they're swimming in is is still um, however, I've got three children too um sort of 14 to 20, two boys and a girl. And certainly um, my all three of them are, are much more wiser to all of what we're talking about than I certainly was at their age. So there has progress, but I think for me, the key, well, a shock I had not so long ago is I attended a conference here in Jersey about men's mental health. Mm. And um, we were teamed, we had to get into groups and I got into a group with two other uh, men. One was young, like 28 and the other one relatively young, 32, something like that. And we were talking about what did they think their identity or roles were as men. And the 28 year old was was stereotypical. He was said he had to be strong. He had to be resilient. He had to be a provider and um, And I was horrified. And um, what what I want to say in terms of helping our boys and our girls is that if we are going to ask our men to be available emotionally in their relationships, then we've got to stop giving them the message that when they do express their weaknesses or vulnerabilities or fears that we don't consider them unattractive or not manly Mm. because like it or not women still do that a lot not everywhere but because the knight in shining armor who comes to get cinderella or whoever (laughs) is all strong and providing and resilient and not emotional so if we buy into that fairy tale we buy into that patriarchy then our men are not going to allow themselves to be vulnerable. And we're not going to get that mutual connection and
0: equality. We can't have a both. That's both a ways. very, you know, that's very interesting. I suddenly just thought, as you were talking then, about um, Gaza, mm. when he broke down, when he cried and, 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 and had this breakdown on public TV and there was an outcry, footballer crying Mm. what's Mm. what's wrong with him what's wrong with him he's a Mm. footballer for god's sake Mm. they are you know um and i do really worry a little bit about this in in particular in my sons um it's different isn't it because i've got my minus 17 and 20. when i look at the 20 the 20 year old is um probably quite volatile now he's probably got a bit more but when he was younger he was very sensitive now the 17 year old he's much more placid much more placid but when he gets hurt oh then mm. he's like taken out he's
1: mm. he's
0: very like he just revokes into that he's teary you know mm. very very upsetting because cuz he cuz it he, he must be something that he hasn't established yet you know he's just um yeah. And he's still; they're still young at 17 but you want to say look it's okay to cry mm. you know you've been hurt you feel mm. offended you whatever something's hurt you mm. it's all right and I think this this crying I mean yeah. how do you how do you find in your role um with men do you find that they are now becoming more open to be able to discuss emotions and feelings or that they're still being very held back
1: Well, certainly just getting back to children, certainly my boys, um, I've worked very hard in allowing, giving them some um, emotional vocabulary. And I think that's important because, you know, what I see in my practice with men who are older is they don't even have the vocabulary to describe a feeling. So this is once again, getting back to, well, how do you feel the better feeling? And, um, so I do, so that's a lot of education and it goes back down to sometimes with not only male clients, but largely is I I might give them a sheet of actual vocabulary about to help them express and to, because if you don't, that's what about language. If you don't have language to describe something, it's hard for it to exist.
0: Mm, Yeah. And that goes back to education, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: So that's, and, and so you know some people will agree with me some people won't but i've been very open with my emotions good and bad with my children my failings my um elations my heartbreaks um you know i have been and i i see that my children are able to tolerate emotion and as well as their own um, really well i really do um i'm very proud of them for that so you know, with the ma- ma- my male, and I have a. what's great is that I've got a lot of male clients, and often it's 50-50 in my practice, okay. um, which that is pretty new, I think, that's the last five to eight years, I think, and more and more, that's sort of 25
0: to 30-year age, uh, oh, age that That's a very interesting, a very interesting right. dynamic, because I'm, I've been looking at uh, male suicide rates, and I'm doing a podcast or I will be, there will be a podcast from um, Stephen Phillips, who's the Jordan legacy, a UK gentleman who lost his son through depression and taking his own life, but how he's turned that around. And and one of the things that he came up with was a, the horrific statistic of um, the amount of men. Well, it's, it's number one killer for men in this age group of suicide. and, mm-hmm. and, you you know when you said you went on that men's health i think this is really quite important i know we've kind of where we've gone with this podcast but but the idea is is that you know men can and need to be able to talk and women tend to have women mates that they can go to not always be able to get the right advice but you've been able to offset your problem but where do men go and if they can't understand it and can't fathom it out Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting mm. that you're saying, when it, you know, that's a big statistic that they're coming to, to counselling. Yeah. And it's
1: wonderful because it shows their ability to self-care. So one thing about patriarchal society is that they don't, men aren't taught to self-care. They're taught to look after others. OK, um, because to look after yourself is not manly because that means you're somehow weak. You know, so this goes back to the fish analogy you know and we talk about you talk about menopause a lot and about how women are have been sort of sidelined in the medical uh, profession with regards to this and it's catch up and we need a lot of education you know it's about empathy and compassion for women and men so that's the fishy analogy is that our boys and our men have been born into a patriarchal institution and society like I was born into apartheid. And so it doesn't serve men or women well anymore. This is what we're discovering. So to, to, to blame the men and to attack our men and is, is, is not, it's not the way to go because when people attacked me for being South African, it was horrific because I didn't design apartheid. <laughs>
0: no, I just bought into it because I didn't know else anything else. And that's exactly you know? what we're saying with the guys, this, isn't it? This is what the we're saying today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I get and it. So I get it's it.
1: About, it's about educating each other and realizing how we, in these in these um, roles that we play, we um, we will um, we we unconsciously are swimming in this water, and we need to wake up and pitch up in our relationships with each other
0: differently. And I think, you know, you, you, we've sort of been talking about, I mean, you mentioned the menopause and one of the things that we struggle with in the menopause, well, there's quite a few things we struggle with, but, you know, we first of all, have the understanding from GPs and that's men and women, to be fair. So that's not, uh, that you know, I'm quite happy to state And that is about education of GPs, but also how women need to empower themselves into having information about their symptoms so they can tell the doctor, actually, I've got A, B, C, D and E, rather than just one or two, uh, shall we say, symptoms that are causing the most distress, like anxiety and depression. So it's sometimes very difficult if a doctor is, is seeing that person and they're saying, I am so depressed, I can't cope. My life isn't worth living. I am so sad. And I have spoken to those women. So Mm -hmm. that doctor at that point makes that diagnosis, even though I would like to think that if you're looking at a woman between 40 and 55, that you might have a little inkling that it could be symptomatic or something else. So Mm -hmm. the big thing that I try to say and to empower women is look, here are the symptoms. This is what you need to do. I think we quoted, Caroline Perez and, and her, you know, if the menopause had been designed for men, there would have been a cure by now. And I know you had exactly the same thing, so I would take that one from you. But is it right that, you know, we want our men to know more about the menopause? And obviously that's my campaign at the moment, you know, go out. And yes, and do- the empowerment of women has to include our
1: belief. So we mustn't buy into that belief system that we are crazy or we are not as um you know we are inferior to men so our qualities of uh the female qualities of um nurture and um vulnerability and community and gathering and getting people together and 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 sort of Keeping communities together. Like those aren't those aren't the attributes that are um, valued in the patriarchal institutions. The ones that are is greed and um, you know um, tenacity and yeah. confidence and stuff. So if we if we buy into that and we think that we're 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 weak because we're having these symptoms or we somehow inferior then we're not empowered okay and so it really we first have to go this is menopause okay or this is pregnancy and be very strong in that take responsibility for what we're experiencing and demand from our medical system what we need and we can only do that through this kind of education you're doing Trudy so that's brilliant and then
0: our men will trust us more. Yes, I, I mean, you You know, everything you say is kind of like where, where I see, I mean, you know, I, I keep on talking about the menopause. I keep on saying this podcast is not about the menopause because I'm sure men will be like, wow well, what are they talking about again? But the idea is I get people, I get men saying they want to know more, okay? Mm-hmm. There are some men in corporate um, that don't want to know. They don't think it's their problem. Mm -hmm. they I have I I know this um you know I have done two seminars and I've had two men in one and three men in another and I'm like where are the men because if Mm -hmm. you don't embrace this men whether or not you like it or not it's not going away whether it's your wife your partner your sister um Mm -hmm. or whether it's your fellow directors in that workplace Mm -hmm. employees managers you know Mm -hmm. I don't know how to kind of wake the men up and say you need to be part of this. You really do need to be part of this as much as let's flip this all over. okay? so uh, we can look at, say, um, a prostate cancer awareness Mm. scheme. Does anybody think if you've got female directors, oh, they're not going to embrace that? Mm. No, they're not going
1: to. That's the hangover. That's the hangover of when something hasn't been w- well um, understood by the medical male-dominated fraternity in years gone by. It's been considered a psychological pathology. So women have been pathologized and diagnosed and institutionalized in asylums because it hasn't been very well understood. And that's very well documented, by the way, in this this is Phyllis um, Chesler's book, Women in Madness. And she was a first, a second wave feminist in the 60s, 70s. And she's just um, got an updated um, edition of that book. And it's, you know, and that's a hangover is that because of the mystery, the mystery, and it's only a mystery because it's been ignored by those, those institutions, then it's pathologized. And then it's pretty scary. That's why witches were burned to the stake.
0: That's, uh, yeah, now you've got me, you've got me very intrigued now because of course that kind of makes sense because, you know, obviously there was, I, I'm again, looking backwards where men didn't really understand women's issue. It wasn't their problem. It wasn't part of their life. Um, I mean, I now talk, I, I mean, obviously I talk about the menopause, like it's like I'm talking what do you want for dinner, you know, it's sort of that way. Um, mm. Still, there is an age gap and I still... I still feel in corporates, we need to break that break that down, but you can't go at it with, with a you know um, a wrecking ball uh, for want of a better song, but by hopefully education um, and for us to cultivate an education experience for our children to be mm-hmm. able to hopefully encapsulate them as they grow older, they can be great leaders and that we won't have this stigma about various things that they can, welcome and embrace all health issues?
1: Well, we need to look at the type of institutions that the corporates are.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they
1: are still modeled on ancient patriarchal
0: design. Most. And let's hope that we can break that. Let's hope that, because this will be a time concept Mm. and whether we're talking menopause, I mean, I think it's probably the last stage of life that well it is a last stage of life but that 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 is coming out to be addressed now um and the more men that I feel embrace this mm. can actually now we can start to move this forward um mm. and it's not just about the menopause this is about mm. the forward thinking the, yeah. the equality it's the equality and the mutuality
1: of it and that's what you know it we are all human beings, okay? And we are all equal in value. And we're all unique. So you speak about your two boys and their different ways they pitch up and show up Mm. in the world. So we've got to find designs of institutions, which I think climate change is gonna help us find those. Mm. With circular economies, we're gonna find because different attributes are gonna be required for us to save this planet. And those attributes are the softer nurturing mother nature ones that are not greed and power and money. It's something else. And I think that's going to help us value each other and the different attributes we bring to organizations. Because we need men, we need the masculine energy and we need the female energy, whether you heterosexual, straight, transgender it does not matter. But there's The masculine energy is very focused and targeted. This female energy is very circular and nurturing. And we are all a unique combination of those two. And that's what our planet needs is more of the circular, more of the nurturing energy to come into our institutions. And I think the planet is demanding that of us now. And I'm very excited about that. I'm wanting that's where my integral coaching comes into play is where I'm, I like to coach people to develop those those parts of themselves so they're showing up they're waking up to test the water they're growing up through the coaching and work with me and then they're showing up in a different way in the world that that the the, the patriarchal hierarchical corporate doesn't allow for
0: that's brilliant. I mean, that's a, an, I can't believe I've just looked at the timing and we're going okay. on to that 30 minutes. And I just think it's brilliant because I, I love this. This is absolutely fantastic. But before we end, now yeah. we're going to give three our three hints and tips uh, to our listener. I'm not sure where we've gone with this today, but but <laughs> I think about equality, empowerment. But I will leave it with you. Over to you,
1: Jean. Gosh, three tips. Let me think. You've really put me on the spot. Ah, right?
0: yes, I do like doing that. Mm
1: um... <laughs> educate yourself, you know, um, women, you know, there's a wonderful um, documentary on Netflix at the moment called the feminists what they were really thinking. Ah. And it's about the second wave feminists of which Phyllis Chesler is one of them, this author of this book. And um, Jane Fonda on there talking about what they were thinking in the 60s and 70s. And really, it's designed to educate the younger feminist I don't really consider myself a feminist. I consider myself a humanist, but it's really number one, educate yourself of of how these institutions have come about and how they could, how we could help them change. And that includes changing ourselves and, and adopting a, a more of a, yeah, a mutual attitude. It's just, just educate number one. What would number two be? Um,
0: yeah, get therapy. <laughs> I think every I, I tell you, every time I do a podcast, and I have with a, I've been doing some podcasts with different therapists. I'm thinking, yeah, I think they're right there. I suppose <laughs> that's more, but that's that's more of the education. But
1: where I'm coming from on that one is making it really personal because you know, to sometimes to uncover and discover what water you're actually swimming in is is a, it can be a process that it needs someone else to witness, need someone else to help you along your way, because, you know, it's re- reading a self-help book. You know, it's, if that worked, I wouldn't have a job, you know? So it's, that can be really empowering. So it doesn't have to be therapy, but it can also be with your partners or with your girlfriends or boyfriends, um, just to be curious about who we are and why. Mm. So, you know, yeah, that that can really help um and number 3 um yeah be honest with your children or your nieces yeah, or nephews I, yeah. or whatever the younger generation be honest about your own fallibility your own humanness so that they can be human too so i think
0: live- that's a love i think that's a lovely line that because um for any women or men that are, that are actually uh, listening to this You know, we all go through trauma in all parts of our lives, whether that's, you know, death of a relative, uh, death of a relationship, um, somewhere where work has been affected and you've been dismissed or compromised or whatever, whatever the awful things in our life comes to. It's to be, I think so many people try to hide those emotions from their children because they want to protect them and shield them. And actually, all you're doing is putting them up, that they will not be able to deal with those emotions when they when they too come up with the disappointments in life. Um, And I know that from from my own experience um, and having watched and having been part of a therapy unit whereby Mm -hmm. to try to get men particularly to understand that you learn by, by, by sharing those experiences. And I, you know, I talk about that with my children. So yes, it's not always pleasant for them, but if they see that you're upset, um, then, then they too will understand that it's okay to be upset. You know, it's fine. Yeah. That it's
1: not dangerous. You can be upset and okay at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And that's... That being upset is a normal human reaction, an appropriate reaction to somebody upsetting you. That's appropriate.
0: And I think that's absolutely brilliant. Well, honestly, that's that was amazing, uh, Jean. Thank you so much. Very different no, totally. podcast to what we normally do, but do you know what? Brilliant. I think it's a, a pure insight as to how, you know, where, where some, you know, going right through the political sphere of man, woman, and about how we have can break all our bias. So thank you very much, Jean, for that. Thank you, and, Trudy. Nice speak to you. to you soon. Thank you okay. And thank, thank you very you. much for listening. Bye. For more information on the topic that you've just listened to, please visit my website, www.vitality40plus.com. Thanks for listening.